You are talking about the nonsensical ravings of a lunatic mind. I got a bad feeling about this. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! He's looking at you, kid. What we got here is a failure to communicate. You could ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? asked one of the regulars on our site to name the user who loves like fun, schlocky, pulpy action films the most. Uh, there's a pretty good chance they'd name you Rodent. And what I love about this movie choice is that it's such a cool blend of like schlock and sophistication. Like it doesn't really inhabit either world. It's sophisticated because it deals in uh, moral ambiguity and broad themes and because they spell gray with an E, which is fancy. Uh, and it's schlocky because Liam Neeson tapes broken vodka bottles to his fist and tries to punch a wolf to death. Right. <laughs> so when did you first see this film and what inspired you to choose it? Probably because the simplistic kind of plot to it, but it also has a lot of sort of metaphor about it as well. Um, I first saw it, what was it, it came out in 2012 and I saw it about a year and a half after it had actually come out. I bought it on DVD on, a, on like a blind buy because I'd heard a few things about it. It's Liam Neeson. He's kind of cool. So I thought, yeah, I'll get that. I took it home and... I thought, wow, this is actually quite a decent film. It's, there's a lot of sort of sub-levels to the plot. And I think the reason why I, I picked it within my choices is because it reminds me of a lot of uh, movies from the 70s, like Jaws and Alien. Not so much with like maybe the creature feature type thing, but certainly with, with the plot being very, very simple. but has a bit of, un, bit of undertone to it as well. Plus you've got that creature feature kind of uh, subplot kind of thing going on as well. But it's the simplicity that it's it's almost like a throwback to these old movies from the 70s without actually trying to be that. You know, it, it's not trying to be Tremors. It's definitely a throwback to those more simplistic kind of films. And I think that's what it, why it stood out to me. Yeah, I, I do like the simplicity a lot. I kind of like there's this kind of survivalist itch that usually we get scratched with zombie films and zombie shows these days. There's sort of like a cultural reset. You know, these people have their complicated lives. And in, in the beginning, you see Otway is thinking about killing himself. You know, things have just gone wrong for him. They have these complicated lives and all these problems. and They got their job to worry about. But when they're thrown into these survival situations, these survivalist situations, uh, everything is simplified. It's just we need to get to this spot and wolves are trying to hunt us. You know, it's about fire and elemental things and survival. And I think there's something that people kind of like about that uh, as things get more kind of complicated in, uh, in the real world. Yeah. What I was kind of attracted to was, was that because with the characters, you're, you get given these characters who have a little bit of depth to them. Obviously, Liam Neeson's has got the most depth because you see him at the start. Kind of like throwback with, uh, say, for instance, Jaws. You've got Brody. You see him at home. You know, he's a, you then find out he's a, the chief Brody. He's the chief of police. So you get this kind of introduction to the main character. Whereas the other characters, for instance, Quint or um, uh, Hooper, you just know who they are just from a quick scene. And they kind of just back. They kind of back up the main hero because with Quint, his introduction is him standing on top of his boat going along the river in, in the water when they've caught that tiger shark. And that's all you need to know about him, just standing on his boat. Whereas with the Grey, for instance, the character Diaz, your introduction to him is the bar fight at the beginning. Yeah. You just know who he is just from that one scene. You know what he is. And I think it's that kind of simplistic thing that kind of backs up the main hero. When you get these kind of 
disparate characters that you just know who they are from the very, very simple scene that you see them in for the first time. It allows you to just get behind the characters when they're thrown into this kind of tragedy and you enjoy watching them trying to work their way through it. Slappy, what did what did you know about this film beforehand? What were you what were you expecting when you went in? Because uh, it's hard not to look at the poster and read some of the taglines and see Liam Neeson and know that there's wolves involved and come in with some pretty strong expectations. Well, I think out of the, a similar expectation to a lot of people for what the movie was, which was it came out after, just a little bit after Taken, I guess probably a few years. But uh, I was expecting, you know, Taken with Wolves. And I think that that's, <laughs> uh, that was a common sentiment at the time. The other pre-film expectation that I had set is that Dan Harmon had made fun of it on Harmontown. Oh, really? Uh, quite a bit, yeah. Well, he makes fun of a lot of good movies, it has to be said. Well, here's the th- really interesting <laughs> thing about him is he was actually off base. Um, completely because he actually stopped watching like halfway through and assumed that there was going to be um, like I want to say like actually probably even 30 minutes in he stopped about like 30 minutes in and assumed that they were going to kill one wolf kill one guy kill one wolf and that the scene at the end uh, would have been Neeson fighting the last wolf right and it was going to be winner take all that's it and he was he was wrong he was but he was projecting off of the idea of what he thought the movie was rather than what the actual movie was I mean mostly he was just focusing on the he just cracked him up that like he said the, the, the line about the wolves don't give a shit about twigs and berries or something um and like the the fact that he was just always being very you could either say nihilistic or realistic to the men and not reassuring them Mm -hmm. um and then he assumed that there was gonna be like this change but um so that was part of it so i was kind of i was assuming one of two things um because just because of the nature of the excitement around the movie going up to this um mostly by you and then by some of the other people in the thread where i was just able to glean oh okay there's probably something more to this so i was expecting a cheesy action film where uh, it was just like really fun, I guess, and where it's like Neeson punches wolves with bottle hands. Boy, you did not get that at all. My God, right? And, or or that there was some sort of like specific twist that made me reevaluate it. Right, like right. Um, I was expecting the the wolves were like a little supernatural. Maybe maybe the wolves aren't wolves, and he was the wolves, or I don't know, like something. <laughs> there was like something. He was the wolves, right? And actually, it was it wasn't either one of those so it was weird in that the film didn't fail to live up expectations didn't exceed my expectations it fulfilled a completely different set of standards and so it was weird for me because it was not what i was expecting either even after i tried to inform myself a little bit on what to expect yeah i mean there are moments or lines i would call fun but it is a it's mostly a bummer of a movie. Yeah, no, absolutely. I guess we should just get right into the ending, shouldn't we? You've both seen the post credit sequence, I assume. Uh, yeah. yeah. There's really not a whole lot to say here, I don't think, because it's just pure speculation. Uh, but let's just get it out of the way right away. What does that mean to you? Does it change your opinion of the film at all, uh, as opposed to if it had just ended with him rushing at the wolf? Personally, I didn't really like the ending. The first part of the ending where you see his, his, his eyes go feral and the camera pans in, and then you get that rock just as it cuts. And then you've got that end credit sequence as well. I think what they should have done was remove that end credit sequence and cut about half a second earlier so there wasn't that rot at the end. Mm. Just end it on his eyes. That's where they should have ended it, I think. Yeah, good call. It doesn't change my perspective of the film. I think it's one of those tongue-in-cheek kind of end credit sequences where they say, you know, could this be the end? You know, one of those kind of endings. And it's kind of fun. You know, I mean, the whole film is kind of fun. It kind of plays with your with your expectations and things. But yeah, I just I I wasn't keen on the ending. But I can accept it as as it was as a bit of a tongue in cheek sort of playful ending. I can accept that. Uh, but so you're not actually upset, and this was the common complaint that you're not actually upset that we don't get to see the fight. 
No, no, no. It sounds no, like you no. think... say even less, actually. Yeah, Too so much. I, I actually, I actually prefer them not to have that because apparently they did film numerous endings, um, and the one that they went with was the one that you see in, in on the DVD. Um, but yeah, I just think even that was just a little bit too much. They should have just cut it at half a second early on his eyes and not have that end credit sequence. And that's, but it doesn't spoil the film. The ending that's there is, you know, tongue in cheek, wink to the audience, and it it does work. That's the whole point. It does still work, but I think they should have just ended it half a second early. Could have been a little better, yeah. Although I I think watching it the second time, I didn't realize that there's that scene very early on where he kills the wolf and goes over and he puts his hand on it, and there's very noticeable breathing. Uh, so I assumed watching it the second time, I go, oh, I see. The movie's bookended by this. Uh, it starts and ends with him sort of touching a breathing wolf, uh, for what it's worth. A dying breathing wolf. But well, he does it also just after the plane crash when the guy's dying and he's dying in their arms. Yeah. He places his hand and he talks to the guy whilst he's dying. And it's like he's talking to the wolf. So it's as if he's reliving the same thing three times in a row in the same film. Good stuff. Uh, Slappy, yeah, ending. Go. <laughs> okay, so one, the the fight doesn't really matter. I, I think that is kind of going to be a common sentiment where the post credit scene does feel tacked on, didn't feel necessary. It didn't give us an inkling as to which way they were going. It didn't tell you who wins at all. Right, and mm. it doesn't matter. And I thought that that was the cool part of, um, of cutting away early is um, it actually kind of reminded me of the ending of Take Shelter where, again, it wasn't the outcome of what's going on as much as it matters about the um, resolve on the character's face. So it didn't matter it, who won, the wolf or Liam Neeson. And so it also didn't matter that they had the post credit scene that showed that didn't really answer anything either. I guess both, either one could have won. I mean, the wolf could be resting. I don't know. Or they know. could both be dying either. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that actually is my assumption. Um, I, that is my guess that they were, they were both dying, but again, didn't, didn't really matter. I do think that my, my problem with the wolf fight not happening though, is more of a um, marketing thing. Like uh, oh, yeah, I, yeah. I saw the trailer and um, there, there being footage in the trailer that is not in the movie just is dishonest to me like it, it doesn't matter that like i think this it was a better move and a smarter move to not have the wolf fight it's pretty dishonest to literally show something about the wolf fight that was not there to get people there i guess that bo- that bothered me so i could understand a lot because it seems like a lot of people were upset because i kind of went around and looked at how people you know reacted to the movie if people were upset about there not being a wolf fight scene uh, and kind of cutting away but i wouldn't empathize with them as much if there wasn't a promise within the movie and there's not a promise within the movie you should not expect a wolf fight scene within the movie because the movie's pretty restrained but the outside external marketing did basically promise that and that's kind of scummy uh so i i didn't like that part even though again better for it not showing the uh the scene um i do want to mention that um actually the um the screenplay ending um is is quite different the screenplay actually ends with Neeson kills the Alpha. The, al- the wolves all back down. A helicopter rescues him. Uh, <laughs> he gets his wife back and she's what? pregnant. <laughs> what? What? Yes. In the screenplay, they do change it where the wife doesn't die. She's just like they're they're, they're actually separated, which is kind of how it feels in the movie for a while until, until you, the end. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was it was a very different ending and kind of terrible. Like in it, it doesn't even read well. Like it's really quick in the screenplay. So it might just be literally <laughs> the 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 screen uh, screenplay writer just put it in there because uh, it was like, all right, then no one's gonna get this movie. If there's not a happy ending, and it's just like, okay, cool, we'll fight. Dead wolves back down. Helicopter wife back. 
pregnant. The only thing sillier that I can imagine than what you just said is like literally the baby is also born and then he gets it like a husky puppy or something. <laughs> <at the very laughs> oh, I thought he was going to be like part wolf is what you're going to say. Oh, Wolfman. Yeah. Werewolf. Yeah, exactly. This is a precursor to like a werewolf in Paris or something. Like this is a, this is a, <laughs> it's a, a, a right? Because <laughs> it ends with, uh, so here's the funny thing that actually I didn't even think about until you said this though. There is actually a bit of a strange thing in that um, the ending of the movie in the end of the movie is, you know, him touching the wolf as it dies. The ending of the screenplay is him putting his hand on his wife's stomach and um, that's the new metaphor from the beginning to the end is he was you know, <laughs> touching a dying wolf at the beginning and then he's touching the baby thing. But it's like the thing is, like, there's a metaphor there, but I just don't know what it is. Like, it's like he just touches stuff that's important and like some. <laughs> he, he touches something that is dying versus new life, I guess. So right. it's a contrast. Uh, and it yeah. especially works with with the actual bookend of the film, which is that. Uh, you're right, it's about his resolve at the end, and that's actually why I like Rodin's idea about having his eyes go feral, because that's the moment that matters, is when he decides to fight, to stand and fight, because the beginning is him contemplating suicide. So the journey of the film is not about whether or not he lives or dies, it's about whether or not he wants to live or die. He starts off wanting to die, and at the end he's fighting for survival. So that's his arc. Yeah. He ends up dead either way, but I guess it's the whole point is how you die and why you die matters a lot more than the fact that you're dead. And that ties back into a lot of the other characters, because... There's sort of this running theme, and this is good, this happens in any film about survivalism, particularly zombie films, but any film about survivalism is sort of about that push and pull between survival versus deserving to survive. You know, how much civilization do you insist on? How much does that matter when things break down, when, when the blank hits the fan? So, for example, you have Henrik saying, he's saying some words over the dead before they leave. He says it doesn't feel right to just leave them there. We need to say something. It doesn't even really matter what, right? He doesn't know any prayers or anything. But it's just important that they say something, that they keep that tradition going. Uh, yeah. And then they keep, they keep collecting the wallets, right? The, what, more, uh, what bigger symbol of civilization is there than the wallet? You have an ID, a picture <laughs> of your face, right, in the woods. Uh, and then later on, they share stories, you know, oral tradition. They talk about their faith, things like that. Or they argue about faith. You know, all of that, though, uh, even just debate about faith and whether or not it matters is sort of civilization itself. So, yeah, that's sort of how it goes is there's this push and pull between, you know, survivor surviving for its own sake and what you actually choose to survive for. Mm. After I watched it, I wasn't really sure what I was taking away from it. It, it was actually kind of fun in that this was a different viewing experience a post-viewing experience than most of these podcasts where um, I basically wasn't able to watch it until yesterday. Um, and then I basically just had like nine hours to kind of sit and think about it. And it changed a lot in that time. Um, but usually the movies have like a little bit longer time to kind of brew. But I liked actually kind of like really thinking about it um, and then just like playing a very mindless game and then having another thought occur. So in trying to organize my thoughts more quickly, I was like, okay, what changes in the movie um, from the beginning to the end, what is the what is the what is the distance that you move is kind of like one of the ways to measure what happens in a film. Um, and so uh, there's the external world doesn't basically change at all. Um, there's there's almost no impact on the external world in um, in the film. Uh, the, the 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 main impact would be that they they the people died in it. Like so, the families that the people died will be affected. Um, and then the, the I'm sure it'll be like a news story about the people that died. But the thing that's about the thing that's interesting is it doesn't matter at all in the film because what we see isn't really about th these guys dying. Like it's not a sad it's not just a sad story about these these guys all died. Um, 
it's that uh, it's what they do in their dying time. It ends up not being different for the world about how much they suffer and fight and stuff like that. The end result is kind of the same. So the external world is basically unaffected by the content of the film, the arc of the film. You mean like if if they died in the plane crash, it pretty much doesn't change anything, right? For, for the external world, at least, like the things that the things that the external world got affected by are going to remain consistent. It's still the families are going to be basically a sad. They probably won't. They they may or may not find out actually what happened to them. There's the the little mm-hmm. the watch thing might do it where you know he he kind of like presses the watch again. I don't know what he does with it, and then sets on top of the wallet. So maybe all the wallets are found on his dead body or whatever you know when they find it. So there might be little tiny something, but basically the world doesn't really change. Really, it's you know the lives of the internal lives of the individual men. Diaz had a uh, kind of hedonistic outlook that eventually, like the the last moment of his life, is inv- enjoying a beautiful sight and letting himself die. And that was that's an interesting. Uh, difference that there's you can measure the change in that person's attitude or not attitude but the the perception of life well his values because he starts off basically saying i want to survive so i can have sex one more time (laughs) right exactly (laughs) and also like that was a it was a weird transition uh when um and they were talking about like yeah what uh, the the, his will to live being based upon the uh fact that he wants a better piece of ass than the last one he got and then it was like uh immediately lemis was like my father wrote a very sad poem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so if I'm Diaz, I'm sitting there thinking, well, now I feel like a jerk. Like, <laughs> I, I was sort of kidding, but I was sort of not kidding. And now you're coming back with this serious father stuff, and I just feel like a punk. But that was his journey, right? Is that he starts off kind of, we're all just animals, hedonistic, nothing happens when you die. And then at the end, it's look at this beautiful Bob Ross painting. Right, exactly. Mm. And then, so, and the, uh, the weird thing is that, so I tried to, I tried to apply that kind of idea to the film because I, I liked the idea of like a, of a final tableau of like how you die. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't quite that movie. Like, cause like that's something that people really applied to other films that I do agree that this film runs along with like predator, like where the, the, the deaths, there's a lot of meaning read into the, the specific scenes of the death of each of the characters, like in predator where in this film, some of them just die. Like they, they just die. Like the one that dies of hypoxia, doesn't really there's not a ton of meaning like maybe there's something that i missed that like the the fact that air was turning against him or something that there's some sort of beautiful thing but he kind of just dies uh, and it's not the same as the deaths of the other characters because one of the one of the themes that the movie is always subservient to and kind of like you know playing towards is that um <clears throat> nature is huge and way bigger than any of these people and in a in a, in a direct conflict between them and nature is not even close uh, it's about what how you can manage your reaction to nature, not about you managing nature. Well, they have to do that with a few characters. This happens in, I hate to keep mentioning zombie shows, but like that's the new survivalist show is our zombie shows. Uh, any sort of like horror-based television series, it's this careful balancing act between we need to develop characters and then we have to kill them. And you obviously are sort of wasting that development time once you kill someone. But on the other hand, if you don't do it, nobody cares when they die. So you have to do both simultaneously, right? You have to develop characters, but occasionally you have to kill them anyway. So that's kind of what happens here. They have to develop all these characters, but a few of them have to die immediately. Otherwise, it's meaningless. Otherwise, you know, like you do in so many uh, poorer films and poorer TV shows, you know that whoever gets the most, uh, most development has the most plot armor. So they actually do that pretty well here. Uh, like you say, they develop Burke a little bit, but he still dies pretty early, and you don't learn that much about him. They develop Flannery, kind of the guy talking, chattering away on the plane. He dies pretty early, too, even though he seems like one of the more developed characters. And you kind of need to do that. You kind of need to be merciless. Uh, the only thing I can think about with Burke, though, is that he dies in his sleep, and he's also the same guy at the crash site who says he must still be asleep. 
and insists that he needs to wake up from the plane crash, and then he dies in his sleep anyway. I was going to say, it's interesting you bring up uh, the, the, the deaths of the characters. I'm not saying it's like the same for all of them, that there is some other kind of meaning to them. But you were saying maybe trying to find some meaning in, in the deaths of the characters was um, the guy that dies from the uh, the oxygen, um, like the altitude, he dies, basically suffocates in his own sleep. Um, if you notice, actually, he's the biggest guy out of all of them. He's uh, The actor himself is like six foot six, weighs 25 stone, and it's... Uh, the conditions that kill him, not the wolf. Yeah, yeah, good point. He's kind of yeah, he's a huge guy. He's like a discount Michael Clark Duncan. Yeah, and it's actually the conditions. It's the cold and the weather and the and just you know nature itself, not the walls as in nature, but just nature itself is the thing that kills him. So you don't you don't need the walls to kill off the biggest guy in the group. And I think it kind of hammers home the point that these guys are not just in trouble with the walls; they're in trouble with their setting. Yeah. Well, it's about 50-50, isn't it? Because Diaz, he gives up because he hurts his knee and his ankle, you know, which obviously the wolves play a role in that. He wouldn't have had to hurry otherwise, but still, it's not actually the wolves. And Henrik drowns. Mm. Obviously, he he's avoiding the wolves, so the wolves are, are, are making these other situations more threatening than they otherwise would have been. But you're right, that's three guys right there who died something other than the hands of a wolf. Yeah. Kind of dis- um, discovered whilst watching. It was something the filmmakers didn't spot until... Um, according to the DVD commentary, uh, they said it was their wives that spotted this. And a friend of mine, I've got my friend of mine, uh, Georgia, to watch the film as well. She picked up on it too. And bearing in mind, the filmmakers didn't even write this into the film. Was If you look at each character in the film, they're all disparate. Like I said earlier, that they're all completely disparate characters. You kind of know who they are. You've got Diaz, who's this boisterous, probably alcoholic, heavy drinking, heavy smoking you know, wants to get laid one more time. You've got Neeson, who's a bit more, a little bit more spiritual, but he's lost his faith in God. You've got, um, I can't remember the name of the character, the one that, that says, we should say something something for these bodies, and he prays to God. Henrik. Henrik, yeah, Henrik. that's it. So he's got faith. Liam Neeson doesn't. But then you've got the guy who's a bit of a father figure um, in Dermot Moroni's character. But if you think of it in this way, is that each of these characters, in part, metaphorically, is a piece of Otway's own character. And each of those has to die one at, one at a time for him to become that feral creature at the end. Jeez, that's solid. And you said your your friend picked up on that, all the filmmakers' wives picked up on that, but the filmmakers themselves had no idea? Yeah, they had absolutely no idea. <laughs> they just thought they were making a movie about wolf punching. Yeah, that's basically <laughs> it, yeah. The other thing interesting you say in there as well is that Henrik drowns. Oh, yeah, reverse baptism. Let me let me correct myself real quick. It's not a reverse baptism. I, for, I forget this sometimes. Uh, baptism does not symbolize, and a lot of people think this, and when I was younger, I didn't even realize, baptism does not sing, symbolize cleanliness. It does, in fact, symbolize death. That is the meaning of baptism. Because hmm. if you also think of it in another kind of metaphorical way, so Henrik is kind of religious. He's the one that says a prayer for the, for the bodies and things like that. Neeson... If Henrik is part of Neeson's character, Neeson has lost all faith. It's after Henrik drowns that Neeson sits there screaming at the sky, show yourself, screaming to God, show yourself, give me something real, and nothing happens. And he says, F it, I'll do it myself then. It's as if that religious side of him has been drowned away. Yeah, so it's like his faith was the last thing to go, but when it went, all that was left was the animal. Yeah, and that's why you get that feral look in his eyes at the end. I like when movies and characters do this because you don't see this very often. I like the distinction between no God and an indifferent God because that's where he is at the end. He's not saying you don't exist like Diaz. He's saying you exist and I'm mad at you. Yeah. You know, I'm right. And that's sort of it's it's easy to forget because almost all debates about God these days are does God exist? Yes or no. But a lot of older debates like I'm talking hundreds, thousands of years ago, they weren't about existence. It was always 
it was less about whether or not God existed. It was more about whether or not God was good or whether God was an indifferent sort of nature God that did nothing but inflict pain on us. And so, yeah, Otway's character is a real throwback there. You know, he's like, yeah, God's up there and I don't like him at all. And he doesn't seem to like me. And, you know, he just keeps throwing me into these situations and I blame him for it. Uh, yeah. But I, re- I really like that about, yeah, the, the religious side of him dies and then that's when he just goes feral. It's cool that uh, it makes you want to rewatch um, the film because um, – and you'd be going uh, once more into the gray. <laughs> oh, you were waiting. <laughs> I should have saved that for the end. I can't edit that into the end. We should have gone out on that, dude. Oh, <clears throat> uh, goodness. Did that just occur to you or, or did you did you have that chambered? I had, I had that chambered. <laughs> I had that chambered for, for a bit. I think it was just starting to rewatch it right after he had read the poem because that, that occurs like right at the end of the film. Let, no, let's talk about the poem a little bit. I, I'm, I'm always a little intrigued by uh, sort of metafiction, you know, fiction within fiction when there'll be a movie, for example, about movie making and there has to be a movie within the movie or there has to be a book within a movie or something like that. I'm actually reading a book right now called S, co-authored by J.J. Abrams, along with, you know, an actual author. They sort of partnered up. And the book is actually a fictional book called Ship of Theseus by a fictional author named V.M. Straka. And the book is this whole fictional book, just written from start to finish, and it's reasonably length. Uh, And it's supposed to be, in this fictional world of the book, it's supposed to be a classic. And the author is supposed to have disappeared under mysterious circumstances. And the book itself is not just the book, but all the margin notes that are scribbled here from two people, two college students, reading the book and talking about it back and forth and trying to uncover the author's identity. So it's like this crazy meta-level thing. And I was I like to think about this because you have to basically write a book for for this project. You have to write a book that could pass for a classic. So you have to write a classic to write this book first, right? And so you mm. kind of have the same thing here where you have to write a poem and it has to sound like it could be a real poem, if you know what I mean. Like obviously it's just supposed to be his father, so it doesn't have to be, you know, doesn't have to be James Joyce or something, but it has to kind of work on its own. I don't know. I, I guess I think it does. Uh, it sounds it sounds kind of real to me. It's one of those things where if someone showed this to you and said, this is famous, would you disbelieve them? And I guess I wouldn't, even though it's four lines. Yeah, it's that actually very reminiscent of uh, Pale Fire said that you had to you have to have something that works as a poem in order for there to be the crazy meta narrative about the person annotating it. That is one of my one of my problems with the film is that I did not like the poem. Like I I under I kind of like understood the direction that they're trying to go into. It makes the poem makes sense to the movie, but that's the thing is it feels very directly made for the movie. There's like there's like zero reason that the it feels like it's relevant to like the father as much. Uh, like I I could see a a sad fatherly wannabe poet type like writing it, but it would have when he wrote it, it would have been melodramatic and, I think, silly. Oh, I, it looks – you're saying it, it fits when you're in a life-and-death situation with wolves, but if you're <laughs> just sitting in your study, it's like, what on earth is this even about? Correct. And I, I could see somebody like – you know, you're always struggling to survive against – like, you if you're if – you're, like, if he was depressed, it could be, like, um, him struggling against his depression. Like, that's the fight that he has to endure is finding meaning in his life and blah, 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 blah. Um, but then, it, to me, it just doesn't – it fits well with with wolves. It fits well with uh, more, uh, I guess, survival against a uh, finding will to live, which is, um, you know, uh, I don't like the opening line is also my problem is the once more into the fray. I, I guess maybe the what I could take away from it is it's like his um, it's like his morning affirmation. He wakes up and like he thinks once more into the fray and like he's got to fight through the day every day. And then that's uh, every day is to live and to die, blah, blah, blah. Um, which sure okay but the the sentiment is good i guess is what i'm saying the writing of it it just doesn't hit me at all but it's 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 serviceable it doesn't it doesn't stand out 
like an incredible amount. It's just one of those things where there's parts of um, film sometimes where the reaction I'm definitely supposed to have is, wow. And it's it misses that. But all the characters feel that way. And then I feel a disconnect between the film and then what I'm supposed to feel. You're saying you're supposed to find it profound and you're like, you just don't. Yeah. And it's also it's also, again, because of that weird segue where he just kind of like all of a sudden Neeson just wants to talk about this and pushes it in there. So like tonally, which is kind of strange to for it all seven to be there. A little bit contrived, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Not a not a deal breaker in any way, though. Just it, it, there's a, there's a, some little things in the film that kind of just felt appended. Where with the only reason that they really bothered me is um, I agree with what Roden said at, near the very beginning, which is there's very a very simple movie. It's not a lot of moving parts, um, and I think that in the uh, the screenplay actually has a little bit more um, I would say fat in it. There's there's more stuff that could have been cut away, and that the um, I guess would be the director was pretty ruthless in cutting away all the things that really didn't matter. And so the things that still stick out, stick out a little bit more because of it. But I really appreciate the fact that they really tried to streamline this thing. There's not a lot of extra um, on this movie. Not a lot of gristle. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So do you think it would have been better? This is just occurring to me now. Do you think it would have been better if he referenced the poem, but never said it until the end? Yeah. I I, I would say that just because um, it wouldn't be as much on its words alone. Like, uh, it wouldn't be trying to draw wisdom from the actual uh, writing of the poem, but rather that his his father had written something about his um, will to live or something like that a long time ago. And that doesn't matter what the words were. Like, maybe it comes back to him. Like, he hadn't thought about it in years, but it comes back to him right before his, his final battle. Right. Uh, we talked about, you know, sort of the book ending with uh, wanting to commit suicide in the beginning versus wanting to fight at the end. And you talked about there not being much external uh, effect uh, from their deaths. Yeah, so there's basically three possible deaths. It's he can commit suicide, uh, which he doesn't. He could die in the plane crash, where it's just this random incidental thing. Or he could go down fighting. And that's the one that it ultimately is. And from the outside world's perspective, these don't make any difference. He's dead, and nobody really loves him or cares for him anymore, so he's just gone. But it makes a huge difference to him which of those three it is. So how you die, even just choosing how you die... Uh, is itself valuable. Um, and that's sort of, that is sort of screaming at the sky there, right? It's like, even if there's nothing going on here, I'm going to choose to find meaning uh, in in the circumstances of my life. Uh, even though those three things seem equal, uh, it matters to me how I go out. When you're about to be eaten by wolves, how does it matter how a man is eaten by wolves? <laughs> and then he responds with, when all yes. that is left is to be eaten by wolves, it matters a great deal. <laughs> it matters a great deal. You want to go down tough, Yeah. There's one thing I wanted to bring up with you guys was something I read up on the internet. It was also brought up in the DVD commentary as well, uh, was animal rights activists harping on and even uh, holding protests outside cinemas, even though they had never actually seen the film yet, going on and on and on about how the film portrays wolves in a bad light. How do you guys feel about that? Yeah, well, wolves uh, wolves had such a good reputation before this movie. Everybody <laughs> loved wolves, and then The Grey came out, and all of a sudden, nobody's hanging out with wolves anymore. So I actually want to set this up for Slappy in particular, because Slappy, you mentioned something in one of your notes about a game, a video game called The Long Dark, which I have played uh, about 80 hours of. So I am all in on that game. And there's a little warning in front of that game. It's a survival game, and you're in the snow. And I was going to recommend The Long Dark if you hadn't, by the way. If you like this movie and you like video games, you can play this movie in game form. Uh, it's called The Long Dark. And there's a there's a kind of a geomagnetic event in that game, is how they set it up. And they use that to explain why the animals in the game, most notably wolves, are behaving weirdly. They specifically put that at the front of the game 
to say, look, look, we know wolves don't normally do this, so yeah. don't yell at us, uh, probably because of things like this. Yeah, I guess I could understand it. I I guess I didn't really care. It didn't it didn't it didn't portray wolves as too terrible. I mean, it's not like okay. So there, I say that, but there are a couple of things I I do have problems with the wolves in the movie that I doubt that they cared about it too much. Is that they didn't portray wolves as like aggressive, completely shitty animals. They they portrayed them as protective, right? And uh, oh, and it's funny that they end up in the den. I, I'm not sure how much to read into that, but I mean, maybe we can talk about that in a sec. But I would say that the wolves are generally portrayed as just, you know, natural creatures. They're just an extension of nature. I, I think that the movie is more about just nature in general, and the wolves are part of it. Pretty much the only living creatures really around, which I think is I think is relatively accurate. Um, I, I We don't I don't, I don't know if we see a single other living thing except for wolves and people in the film. I don't think so. Um, no. But Not even like a hawk or anything, right? Yeah, not, the, not that I saw. There might have been birds in the sky at some point and, just, and didn't even register. But it is interesting now that I think about it. There might have only been wolves and people ever. I think there was supposed to be a polar bear at the beginning. You know, the, the scene where he's got the shotgun in his mouth. There was supposed Supposedly a polar bear comes out of the bushes, stares at him and walks away. And he, that's what stops him from pulling the trigger. But other than that, they cut that out and made it the wolf howl instead. Actually, so, and uh, actually, yes, that is that is absolutely true. That's in the screenplay. Is um, a polar uh, a bear uh, a bear comes out. Um, he whips out his gun, uh, or sorry, he he changes the gun from being in his mouth to pointing at the bear, and it kind of changes the scene from. And I like the movie scene actually a lot better, and that's actually kind of consistent for the film. Is um, he gets a will? He gets a little spurt of a will to live from defense, right? His right. his defense mechanism gets activated, and that's enough to carry through the night, basically, without killing himself. Is because now, like you know, his brain is convinced, like, okay, now we're in fight or flight mode, and now that his fight or flight mode is activated, he can he can stand to live. Um, where in the film, um, I think that the the it stops with the wolves howling, and I actually messed, I, I actually kind of tangled with that for a little bit of like, why does the wolves howling stop him? Like, is it like is he like, really loves wolves, and it's like if there's still wolves in the world, you know, something's worthwhile. Or really hates wolves, and there's still some wolves out there to kill, buddy. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's one more wolf left out there, and will not. Yeah, it my might job be, isn't done. My job isn't done. Yeah, it might be the unfinished business thing. Like the wolves know what he did. You know what I mean? They yeah. they know that he's been killing wolves. So we've got unfinished business, boy. Don't you dare pull that. Yeah, yeah. It could be that. It could be the metaphor there. You know, we're kindred spirits, and we need to hunt you down and get our own yeah. back. Or just reminder that there's going to be guys out there depending on him. You know, to shoot wolf. Like it's his job to literally protect these guys. So maybe there's just a little bit of, of that. But uh, Slappy, I think your answer uh, to Roden's question is, is dead on. What I would say to the animal rights activists is, you know, throughout this movie, they make it very clear that the wolves are, are just really defending themselves or defending their territory I mean Otway he almost goes out of his way to kind of act sympathetic towards them he's like from you know from their perspective we're in their hunting zone and if we get away they might leave us alone uh, and as you point out they're heading towards the den the whole time so it's actually I would say very sympathetic to the wolves these people come crashing into their house basically and they just try to get them out the mm. only thing that like bothered me still about what they said is like they said a line that was like uh, wolves are the only animal that takes revenge or something like that that part wasn't so much of them being, you know, giving wolves a bad name as it was a stupid line. Yeah, right. It's I'm pretty sure it's not I'm pretty sure it's not true and exists only to make the wolves sound freakier. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that was and that's what was so weird because actually the um the writing in the movie is totally serviceable. Like for 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 what is kind of like an action film, it doesn't usually stray into into cheesy lines very much. And it also doesn't have that many lines at all. Like they're they're pretty much it's everything is pretty much on the surface um, as far as like a reaction in the movie where it's they're just reacting in a pretty realistic way 
stuff happens to them. The their their choices don't seem to matter a whole lot. It doesn't seem like the kind of movie that's driven by uh, their agency. They're just trying to kind of get as far as they can, which, by the way, reminds me again of The Long Dark, um, which I have not played. But uh, that, that kind of idea of almost like it, to simplify it and kind of make it cheap, uh, like a high score kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Like one guy finished his high score was, you know, I, it's not going to get any more beautiful than this. The other guy is I'm going to fight. In for the, uh, the high score as far as I can possibly get. Oh, and I also wanted to say that uh, uh, I think you're completely right about the wolf howl reminding him that he has um, people to protect. I think that's the actual thing that happens, and I think that's why it works a lot better than the grizzly bear one, where um, because that later actually comes into play, where his will to live for for most of the movie is um, protecting. I think the other people. I don't think he still cares that much about his own life. But um, he has a job to do when they fall, when they when they crash. You know, he's got to protect everybody. And then at the end, by the end of the film, they're dead. Like there's nothing, there's no one left to protect. The external, yeah. the external will to live is totally gone. All that's left is whether or not he has an internal will to live. And that's kind of the movie kind of strips away all this external will to live. And then it's either he's back at the beginning of the movie. Like, does he want to kill himself? There's no external reason for him to live. Does he want to just die? Does he want to give up? Um, and then that's what's changed in the movie is that now he has an internal will to um, to live. He also strips away clothing for the end. His hat comes off. His coat comes off. He's just a guy in a sweater by the end. Um, so it, it's sort of mirrored there, too. So f- you haven't played The Long Dark, so you actually don't even realize how right you are sort of to have put it in some of the notes you sent me earlier. Um, that is a game, at least in the kind of early access sandbox version. There's a story mode now. But in the sandbox version, you're going to die. The whole point is that you can only survive so long. And you try really hard to survive as long as you can, but your death is inevitable in that mode. Um, and that's one of the things people really <laughs> like about it. Uh, you ever hear of people say uh, talk about games as power fantasies? Uh, the developers uh, famously call this a powerlessness fantasy. <laughs> it's you're just managing your decline the whole time. You're scavenging whatever resources you can. And when I was playing it early on, there was some point, I forget what it was, I'd been, I'd been alive in-game for a couple of months or something, and something went wrong, and I got attacked by a wolf. And there was this really great moment that flashed through my mind where I thought, I don't want to die like this. Like, my brain had already accepted the fact that I was going to lose this game and I was going to die because that was the point of the game, but I just didn't want to die like that, which is exactly how this movie feels. I actually ended up playing a version of the game. I made it onto the Steam leaderboards at one point. I survived in-game for, like, 535 days, which is ridiculous. And at some point, I just got tired of it and decided to go poke a bear and die um, to kind of end my same <laughs> game. It's got permadeath, by the way, so that's why it's significant. But that's pretty much what this was. Yeah, he's basically saying, yeah, I'm probably going to die, but uh, I'm going to choose how. Um, and by the end, he's, he's ready to make up his mind about that. Yeah. Uh, what you said earlier about uh, the lack of dialogue. Yeah, so that actually fits with one of uh, something else I kind of noticed. Kind of early on in the film, I noticed that this is basically a Western I mean, it's there are these long kind of vista shots, right? There's a lot of wordlessness staring out into things. It's all about ramp-ups to big conflicts and showdowns. Not exactly at high noon, mind you. Uh, I actually was thinking spaghetti western, and my wife called it a popsicle western. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's sort of what it is. It's a frozen western. <laughs> but when you start looking at it that way, you realize that it does actually harken back, not just to the kind of horror creature feature films that Rodent mentioned earlier, but also old spaghetti westerns, too. One thing that does remind me of when you're talking about the, the Long Dark uh, is... Um... Also, the environment of the film, there's like a disconnect between um, kind of like, or at least for me, my expectations of what was going to happen with the environment. The the, the, the world, I guess, uh, of the gray basically doesn't give you any reason to hope for good things to happen to these people. But they, they sound really determined. 
Uh, and the world is consistent in that. No, like they'll, they'll keep making plans. They'll keep not quite working, but they sound really, they have a lot of conviction. So I think they'll still pull through even though there's like no reason to believe it. And so it's interesting because like, I like that disconnect because there's a lot of times you'll, you'll hear people make plans and they'll, they'll sound really convicted in a movie and that's enough to carry them through in the movie sometimes. Right. It's just like you see the conviction and then it's rewarded with success. And that's, that's, that is completely just, it's not that the world goes out of its way to stop their plans. Right. It's not like a, it's not a film about, you know, uh, being cursed or whatever. It's just literally it, it's just it's stuff's gonna happen like the world is gonna happen regardless if they make plans the world is indifferent exactly and i think that actually mm. plays right into your um uh, to uh, indifferent god because i think god and nature are pretty much the same in this movie I, is that this is a kind of a um a pantheist movie almost where it's like a very much like a struggling against god and nature kind of a thing where it's like this in uh, a very indifferent pantheist uh, nature god that they're they're fighting against in ways where it's just like it completely doesn't register um your existence and in that way kind of reminds me of a um a monster like a, a big monster movie um where uh godzilla was at its best kind of when um when it was a when it was about the generalized fear that you had of death it wasn't about like the cool thing about godzilla is that the cool tension is that um, there's something so large, so unbelievably powerful that you might die just because it is it is moving through the world, yeah. right? That is the cool part, that it's, you're part of a herd, right? And you're just hoping that as part of this herd, you're not going to die too and just because it, it's, it's not coming for you. It's just so big that it doesn't matter. It still might kill you. It's indifferent to you. Yeah, you're, in, you're just an ant. It, yeah. It's going to step on you. Right. Uh, but I like very much what you said about the character's resolve because this film is a little more maybe subversive than we've at first given it credit for because it's sort of preying on uh, movie-watching conventions. Because you're right, when you watch a movie, if a character has a resolve, you just assume that's going to pull them through because you assume the story's going to be sort of redemptive and it's going to be about their personal struggle. So if they are good people who uh, have good priorities and want to live, they will. Or at least they'll have a super noble death or something like that, right? Uh, and this movie sort of sets you up with that because it knows that's how we watch movies, and then it just picks them off one by one anyway. Mm. Like, it doesn't matter. It's indifferent, like you say. It's indifferent. The nature is indifferent to them, and it's indifferent to what other movies do. I think this is where the character who dies from the oxygen starvation, um, the big the big fella, I think that's where his death is quite sort of prominent within that kind of theme, is that... He is the biggest guy amongst amongst all of them, and he's the one that just simply just dies in his sleep. It's like you say this this thing with God and nature, and it is bigger than all of them, and that's what they are fighting against is is Mother Nature itself, you know. Or you, when some people call Mother Nature God, you know, it is indifferent, and it just happens that it is the biggest bloke out of the group that died in his sleep. Yeah, I really I really like your observation earlier about that about uh, Burke. I think his name was yeah. Is that you figure the guy most uh, most equipped to fight off a wolf, <laughs> maybe, doesn't even get the chance. He just falls right over. Yeah. Um, he's a victim of his own size. Uh, the bigger they are, the harder they fall, basically. Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing actually I also want to mention, first of all, one thing I really like is that it doesn't give a single answer to how you should approach death. It's not consistent. One, Some of the movies about accepting death and kind of letting it wash over you, where for the main character, it's absolutely the opposite. Like he is fighting till the very end and the point of the film is that he's not giving up uh and so they die in different ways and it's not about saying like it's not about bringing people into line and the one note that i really wanted to bring up is um and i think this works really well i don't think it changes the interpretation of the movie but it definitely changed my reaction to the wife character and actually my my girlfriend <clears throat> caught this 
she kind of, I guess, kind of assumed or just thought this, where she kind of mentioned to me, like, oh, I think that she um, she might have um, gone undergone euthanasia. And I was like, that is perfect. I'm I'm almost sure that is what's happening. Yeah, in, uh, in the that scene. didn't occur to me. Yeah, didn't occur to I, me I, either, actually. Yeah. No, and, and yeah, no, I, I didn't see anything about it when I looked it up. Like, like that really makes sense. That actually clicks. She chose to die. That she looks healthy. She doesn't. She doesn't. You know, she's not missing hair. She doesn't look sickly, right? Um, which at first I was just trying to. I was just chalking up to the fact that they tried to do a misdirect or whatever. Um, and then whatever's dripping could be actually like you know, uh, uh, like the morphine overdose eventually that they give people. Um, when, when it, in, in some circumstances, I don't know that much about the process of euthanasia, but I think that she had chosen to die, and that just that makes complete sense. And as soon as she said, it was like, yes, that has to. Like I'm choosing to interpret it that way. Uh, yeah, now that you say that, that makes a lot of sense. And I agree completely that the film doesn't really tell you how to feel. I think the best example is Diaz. I would defy anyone to really tell me what the movie thinks about his choice. Uh, because they argue with him, they argue with Diaz, they try to get him going, but then they also accept his choice at the end. And I would say it's fair to say that Diaz is probably maybe the least sympathetic of that group, because he's the one who actually tries to fight some of the, fight to Otway, uh, and he's sort of boorish, and he's kind of a drunken, you know, uh, fighting for no reason and all that. But on the other hand, they sort of end up agreeing with him, too. So, you know, I'm really not sure uh, what they want us to think of that choice. And you're right, they kind of have people making the entire spectrum of choices about whether to die, how to die. Um, and it's not really clear what side they're taking, uh, if any. I got a... An, an interesting point on that was um, a small note that I made was I think the the choices that they make and also I think maybe the choices that they make in accepting how particularly how Diaz chooses to die is their own drive for survival. Um, I think that actually stems from just after the crash. Uh, Lewenden, the guy that dies, he bleeds to death in, in the plane. They've survived this horrific accident. And the first thing that happens to them as a group is they all have their hands on this guy when he dies. And it's, we've survived this, he didn't. And I think maybe that's possibly where they draw some kind of strength from within within themselves, not as maybe not as a group, but certainly within themselves, to, like you were saying earlier, choose how they die rather than just giving up. And with Diaz making the choice to just sit there and look at his perfect picture painting of, a, of, a, of the scenery, um, Otway and Henrik are able to accept his choice because they're making their own choices on how they die. He's made his choice on his, so they have to accept it. Yeah, and he- and Henrik says exactly kind of what you're referencing. He says, after all we've been through, after all we've survived, and uh, the other guy, Dermot Mulroney's character, he says something like that earlier, right? Like, why would we why would we survive this plane crash just to die like this? Yeah. So you're right. They, they are sort of taking the fact that they survived the crash at all is seen as a reason to keep going. Mm. Yeah. And once, actually, another thing about Diaz and the fighting, I, I did want to, I just had a brief note here that there is some foreshadowing here. You hear that little uh, wolf uprising where he says, oh, uh, he tried to displace the Alpha, and they put him down. And then Diaz immediately does that to Otway. He yeah. immediately tries to displace their Alpha, and he puts him down too, real quick. Yeah. Um, but, but that's the difference, right? So that, I, there's, there's like a little hint there that they're still better than the Wolves, in a sense, because they have their little uprising, but they get through it. Diaz says, I'm sorry, it won't happen again, and they work as a team after that. The Wolves kick their guy out or kill him or whatever. They're still animals, in other words, right? There's still this little glimmer at that point. Of, of civilization. Mm. And there's also a bit of foreshadowing in the very beginning where he talks about the wolves and uh, whether or not they should run away, uh, I think, after the crash. And he says, quote, unless you want to fist fight them, which is exactly <laughs> what I mean. He, he says it like derisively in the beginning of the film, like, what, you want to fist fight the wolves? And it's like, uh, give it a couple hours, buddy. Uh, that's exactly <laughs> what you're going to be doing. 
What was your favorite scene or the best scene in the film for you? I know what scene affected me the most. Um, best is kind of a weird way to put it. Um, uh, but the scene where uh, he's comforting the dying man um, near the near the beginning after the plane crash, um, where mm. he's just telling him, you know, you're you're going to die. And then basically convincing him in the moment that it's OK. Um, that affected me the most because um, uh like many other people that are afraid of death, it's not so much afraid of being dead, but recognizing your own dying process. Um, because I just, I just feel like I will flip out and completely go crazy. The knowing you're about to die, you mean? Yeah. If I was right. in that his mm-hmm. position, I would just be thrashing. It would be. I, I feared that part a lot. The knowing I'm going to die, and so that that affected me a lot. Um, I don't. It wasn't pleasant. Uh, and I, I also don't know if I, I would even say it was particularly like different than. Um, a ton of other scenes like it, um, but it was effective at the very least. So that's probably that was the one that I think about the most impulsively, uh, not at my own will and sometimes not pleasantly. I really like the cliff jumping scene. I really like that because it's just such a pure expression of survival compared to the other things. It's the, it's just occurring to me now, but the earlier scenes where they're running away or fighting off wolves it's sort of like a passive survival, right? It's just like kicking it away while it's already on you. Uh, you're huddling by the fire and just trying to stave them off, right? You're, you're, it, it's a defensive posture. The, mm. the cliff is the first time they are doing a thing, like doing something active and aggressive to survive. They're jumping off a freaking cliff, right? They're rigging stuff up. Um, they make mm. some sticks earlier or whatever, but there's something different about it. It seems like the most defiant act is we're going to actually do this thing rather than just sort of run away from something or just fend something off. We're making an aggressive act now to really do this. And, of course, yeah. there's the really nice parallel, which is the first jump is from Henrik. He's the man of faith. And, of course, it is that is a leap of faith, however you define it, uh, is that you just have to trust that the line's going to hold and that you're going to make it. And he does. Um, and I think it's actually, in some sense, uh, kind of the most optimistic scene in the film, maybe even more than the bonfire scene earlier. I've got two picked out for myself for best scenes. Was uh, the, obviously the cat person scene around the bonfire. I thought that was hilarious. Um, but I think my the one that really, when I think about the grey, when I actually just think, I, f- I fancy watching the grey. You always get a picture in your mind of a particular scene that makes you want to watch the film. For me, it's where you hear the wolf in the in the background, and Otway picks up the flaming piece of wood and holds it out and they're all standing there as a group and he's holding the piece of wood out and you can just see just inside the shadow the head of the of the wolf looking and growling and then in in the distance you see dink 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 of all the other of the eyes of all the rest of the walls suddenly appearing in the in the in the darkness uh, picking up the light of the campfire and that's when you that's when i was watching the film i thought oh these boys are in trouble this is going to be good <laughs> Wild them in the end, you got hit. You can have flaws, problems, but wild them in the end, and you've got a hit. <laughs>